Welcome to the first class in this series. It's called the Apostolic Training Courses. This is the same thing as our membership class. This class marks the beginning of a nine-week course that we are going to take you through that we help you to lay a very solid foundation for your work with God and also to introduce you to what we are all about here in Press Chapel. Amen. And this is what we do. Uh, we meet here every Monday when there is classes, when there are classes, and um, we teach from seven to about seven, uh, from seven to about eight fifteen, and we leave about fifteen minutes for question and answer. And um, by eight thirty, most of the time, we want to get you out of this place. Amen. But we want to encourage you to come here about 6.45 so that we use about 5 to 10 minutes to register. Then we want to pray about 5 minutes before we start the class. It's always good to precede the, receiving the word of God with prayer. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, <clears throat> let's go into our classes. Let's open our Bibles to the book of Revelation. We'll be reading from the book of Revelation chapter 12. But before we start reading from Revelation chapter 12, I want to tell an hypothetical story in order to help your understanding of what we're going to be reading about. And I like using this story to help your understanding. Now, can you imagine with me that there was a couple in the country called Iraq. And the name of this couple is Mr. and Mrs. Ahmed. And Mrs. Ahmed is pregnant, nine months pregnant, and she went into labor. And the day that she went into labor, she was rushed to the hospital. Happened to be two or three days after the American military landed in Iraq and they were invading Iraq looking for Saddam Hussein. Amen? So Mrs. Ahmed went into labor and she gave birth to a baby boy. And they named that baby boy Ahmed Jr. But it happened in the midst of gunfires, bombs, and all those things going off all around the hospital area. Right? So, it will appear that Ahmed Jr. was born during a wartime. Is that correct? Would that be correct from the story? Now, let us assume that Ahmed Jr. was able to grow up immediately he was born and grow up physically and he becomes as tall and as big as myself. Right? And Saddam Hussein is recruiting men to come into his army to fight the Americans. Alright? You still flowing with me? Now, on whose side do you think Ahmed Jr. is going to fight? Is he going to fight on the side of the Americans or is he going to fight on the side of the Iraqis? On the side of the Iraqis. Why? Because he was born an Iraqi. 
Is that okay? Now, is it Ahmed Jr.'s fault that a war was going on when he was born? Was he the one that started the war? Did he do anything to start the war? But you can see it is quite unfortunate that he was born when a war is going on. Now, Azumin Ahmed Jr. decided that, well, I am not Saddam Hussein and I did not start the war. I'm not going to participate in the war. What do you think will happen to him? And bullet is flying all over. Two or three things could happen to him. One, he could be hit by a stray bullet and he could die. Or Saddam Hussein's soldiers could arrest him and they could charge him for treason. Does that make sense to you? Now, let's go back into the Bible and this we come together. Re Revelations chapter 12. I read from verse 7. And the Bible says that and war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found anymore in heaven and the great dragon was cast out. That old serpent called the devil and Satan which deceived the whole world he was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him and I heard a loud voice saying in heaven now is salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ for the accuser of our brethren is cast down which accused them before our God day and night and they overcame him by the blood of a lamp and by the word of their testimony and they loved their lives and they loved not their lives unto the death Therefore rejoice ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. Amen. Now this is a story. The devil rebelled in heaven, and war broke out in heaven. Satan fought the armies of God. But he was not able to defeat the armies of God. Rather, the armies of God defeated Satan. And when he was defeated, what did they do? They cast him out of heaven. And unfortunately, where did they land? He landed on earth. <laughs> and the people in heaven, they rejoiced. They said, thank God, the accuser of our brethren have been cast out of heaven. Then they looked down. <laughs> and they said, woe to you guys on the earth. Because the devil has come down to you in great wrath. Now let's read the last verse of that chapter. The, the second part says, And he went out to make war with the remnant of our seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Still talking about the devil, that when he landed on earth, he cannot fight the people in heaven again. He was a defeated person. But what did he do? He now went out on the earth and is looking for people who have the testimony of Jesus or who follow the commandments of God. And the Bible says that he's making war with them. So I have good news for you. Do you know what the good news is? You were born again into Christianity when a war was going on. Let me say that again. You were born again into Christianity, just like in my story, Ahmed Jr. You were born 
into Christianity when the war was going on. And let me tell you folks, the devil is out to make war with you. That word make means to manufacture. It means to cook. You know, when you, when, when you go to your kitchen and you try to get some raw materials to make food, you cook it. And when you are done cooking, you heat it. The devil is in his kitchen cooking war for you. And the war he's cooking for you is custom made for you. The kind of war he will make for you will be different from the one he will make for me. Because the kind of war that he will wage against you may not work with me. And let me say this, folks. The earlier you and I recognize that we were born into a war situation, the better for you and for me. You see, in this war we're talking about, there's no neutral zones. You can't say, well, I'm not on God's side and I'm not on Satan's side. I'm just on my own. It's not possible. You are either going to be on God's side or you're going to be on, the, on Satan's side. And let me, I, I, let me tell you, the good news is this. If you are not on God's side, you are automatically on the devil's side. Does that make sense to you? If you do not support the kingdom of God, you're already supporting the kingdom of Satan. So you were born into a war situation. Now, you did not do anything to start the war. It wasn't your fault that the war started, but it was just unfortunate that you were born when a war was going on. Does that make sense to you? Now, every believer that is born again was born into a war situation, and immediately you were born into the kingdom, you were drafted to a particular military formation or location to participate in the war effort. What do we mean by a military formation or a location? We're talking about a local church. Every local church is like a military department under, it's like there is a military base at Fort Leavenworth. It's a part of the U.S. military. Is that okay? What is the function of that base? Assuming an enemy of the, of the United States attacks the United States, maybe drops soldiers by air in the Midwest. It is a military base at Fort Leavenworth. They have a radius that is their own territory that they will be the primary uh, military harm that will first of all go face the enemy before reinforcement arrives. Does that make sense to you? So God has placed local churches, local assemblies in different places, in different cities, in different locations so that they can take charge in the realm of a spirit over their region. Does that make sense to you? Let me give you an example to help you. For instance, the U.S. military, they are recruiting, they are looking for soldiers. And when you go to the recruitment center and they recruit you, they will recruit you and they will send you to a training camp, starting with the boot camp, where they will train you to be a soldier or to be a marine. Is that okay? After a period of training for about six months to one year, depending on, on what they want you to become, they will now post you to a particular military formation or a location. They can send you to the infantry, they can send you to the airborne battalion, they can send you to the ordinance depot. They can send you, assuming you are a health worker, they can send you to the medical corps. Depending on 
what they trained you to be will, be the, will determine where they will send you. Does that make sense to you? So God created you. God knows what he has put inside of you. And God knows the type of activity that goes on in every military base. That means the local churches. And he sends you to a particular local church that is just for you. It is God that puts people in churches, not you. Coincidentally, you walked into this church. But supernaturally, you were brought here by God. Is that okay? So that means that you cannot just move yourself away from this place and say, I'm going somewhere else. I don't like the pastor. I don't like that brother. So I'm going somewhere else. If God has brought you here, then you are meant to be here. Supposing somebody was posted from the training base and was posted to Fort Lauderdale in Texas. And they said, go and resume duty over there. And that person said, well, I don't like Texas. I don't want to go to Texas. I'm going to Mississippi. And that person goes to the military base in Mississippi. What will happen to him? One, his name is not on the payroll over there. Is that okay? He has nothing, no official position over there. And in the military, if they post you to a location, and after 28 days, and you do not report, they declare you AWOL. AWOL means absent without leave. And if it happens during the time of war, that is high treason. Punishable by firing squad. Because that means you are a potential to be used by the enemy to betray the military. It's never tolerated in the military. So there are so many people, they have been declared spiritual AWOL in the realm of the spirit because they are absent from where God himself planted them. They transplanted themselves. Does that make sense to you? So you were born again into a war situation and God himself led you to a particular local assembly where you are going to participate in the war efforts. Now, let me tell you, there is a good news about this war we are fighting. This war has been fought and it has been won and lost. We are not fighting to win. We are already won. Is that okay? Somebody has lost, somebody won. Jesus won on the cross of Calvary. He defeated Satan. He rose up on the third day after he was buried in the grave. Is that okay? Satan is defeated. So you and I are victorious in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But let me help you understand it as well. Ever since the day that Saddam Hussein was arrested in Iraq, the war in Iraq officially ended. Is that okay? But the military is still there. Do you know why? They are there to maintain the victory that was won. Does that make sense to you? So the war, though, has been won, but the enemy we are fighting is the enemy who doesn't give up. He's going to fight to the last minute. He's going to fight until Jesus comes. So Jesus has sent us into this earth as occupational army to occupy. He said, occupy till I come. Because this devil will still be sending some suicide bombers. 
somebody who is going to hell who wants to take you with him will just come and lodge himself with you and if you allow him into your house you go to hell together that's a suicide bomber maybe you are a guy a woman can be your suicide bomber and if you are a woman a man can be your suicide bomber who will take you to hell with him or to with her and you don't want to be a victim does that make sense to you so we are in a worse situation but this war we have won the bible says that we are more than conqueror through him who loved us amen hallelujah so you are welcome <laughs> to the time of war and this war we are fighting we are not fighting against flesh and blood we are fighting against principalities the bible says against powers against invincible forces of darkness amen and therefore we cannot fight this war in ignorance we have to fight this war by knowledge the bible says in the book of isaiah chapter 5 verse 13 it says my people have gone into exile for lack of knowledge another word says they have gone into captivity for lack of understanding you see many people are, are, are taken captive by the devil because they lack knowledge they lack understanding does that make sense to you so you need to wage this war we are fighting with knowledge can you assume the u.s military the u.s army coming to kansas city picking somebody who is able-bodied muscular seven feet tall they said this is a good material to be in the army and they just took that person and they just take that person straight to Iraq to go and help out in the fighting what do you think will happen to that guy though he's muscular though he's tall he has all the features to be a soldier but he was never trained that means he lacked knowledge in warfare does that make sense to you so why do you think you can fight the devil in your ignorance? The devil has been here for some time. <laughs> He's been here for some time. Amen. He knows all the tricks in the books. And it amazes me to find out that the same tricks that the devil has been using from the time of Adam is still the same old tricks he's still using on us. And it still gets a lot of people captive. It still takes a lot of people captive. Amen. So you are welcome. Praise Chapel Christian Fellowship, Kansas City is a military base. God has given us charge over a part of this region. God has sent us to police the heavenlies in this area. To take charge and to hold captive principalities and powers and go into the streets, into the nooks and crannies of the city and liberate people whom the devil has held captive till now. Amen. So we are on the cutting edge of God's program in this end time and we're inviting you to come participate with us. Hallelujah. And because of that, we want to equip you, we want to train you for this warfare. Because whether you want, you like it or not, you are in a war time. Whether you decide to participate or not, it doesn't change the fact that a war is going on. But it is in your own interest to participate in the war. Because the, the sole purpose of this war is to take your soul to hell. 
Amen. And you cannot afford to play the defensive. You have to be on the offensive. So this series of classes that we're going to take you through, these nine weeks, is going to make you to be on the offensive and not to be on the defensive. Those who are always on the defensive, they don't last long in Christianity because the devil will come against you from every angle. But when you take offense, you push the enemy backwards. Amen. But when you take a defense stance, the enemy will keep pushing you backward until he pushes you to, the, to hell. So we have eight objectives that must be accomplished through this nice series of courses that you're going to be going through. Objective number one. At the end of these classes, we want to make sure that we are able to help you to turn you from being a taker to becoming a giver and to help you to transform you from being a seeker to becoming a saint. What does that mean? Maybe the reason why you came to church was because you are sick and somebody preached to you that come to church, we're going to pray for you and you, you are going to get healed. So if you come to church because you are sick and you want healing, you came as a taker. You came to take healing. Maybe you're on drugs, you are on cocaine, you are on alcohol, and you needed deliverance. And that was the reason why you came to church. You came to take deliverance. Is that okay? It is good to come to Jesus for whatever reason, but it is not good for you to remain a taker. Is that okay? So we want to turn you from being a taker to becoming a giver. How do you become a giver? Jesus said, go out, lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. When we train you and we equip you by the word of God, and you see somebody who is sick, and you lay hands on them and they recover, you have become, you became a giver. You just gave healing to somebody who was sick. Is that okay? When you see somebody who is possessed, who is demon-possessed, who is addicted to cocaine, to drugs, and you lay hands on that person and you cast out those devils, you have become a giver of deliverance. Does that make sense to you? So we want to take people from, the, from being takers to become givers. Does that make sense to you? And we want to turn you from being a seeker to become a saint. You came seeking what you can benefit, but we want to turn you into a saint. A saint, somebody who is pure, holy, who is separated unto God. Does that make sense to you? That's our first objective. Objective number two, we want to empower and mature you so that you can become a minister and a, an addicted soul winner. We believe that every man born of a woman is a minister. You are a minister of God in your own right. You might not be called to full-time ministry like a pastor, but you have your own ministry. Amen. So we want to help you to become a mature minister in your own right. Maybe God has called you to have ministry with kids. We want to help you to become the best you can be. Maybe God has called you to become a minister to those who are lost, who are on the street, who are hooked on cocaine and addicted, who are alcoholics. Maybe God has given you a grace to minister to them. We want to help you to be the best that God, that God has prepared you to be. Amen. <clears throat> And we also want to turn you into an addicted soul winner. Just like somebody can get hooked on cocaine, we want to get you hooked on soul winning. Does that make sense to you? 
Objective number three. We want to elevate your understanding so that you can understand the need to commit yourself to a local church. You know, this is the, this is the middle belt. Uh, this is the Bible belt. The religion belt. Where everybody on the street, almost everybody is a Christian. Some people, when you want to preach to them, they know the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, though they are not living it. Is that okay? But, we, because of their knowledge, many people, they go from church to church. The moment somebody offends them in one church, they move to another one. Is that okay? But we want you to know that if God brought you here, then you should remain here. And you should be committed here. Just like I, I explained to you when, they, when, when you are recruited by the U.S. Army and they train you at their training center. They're going to post you to a particular military base where your training will be needed. Is that okay? They cannot train you as an air pilot and send you to a naval ship. They will send you to the Air Force Base where you can fly planes. Does that make sense to you? If they train you to be a communications person, right, they will not send you to the military hospital to be treating patients. <laughs> Does that make sense to you? They will send you to where they know that your skills will be needed. So God brought you here because God knows there's something here that you have been assigned to do. Does that make sense to you? Now, objective number four. Number four. We want to ensure that there is channeling of all our efforts towards the same direction. Does that make sense to you? We know that you are skillful. We know that you are talented. We know that you are gifted. But if everybody is doing their own thing, we're not going to go forward. We are here to help you to channel your skills, your talents, your gifts in a particular direction that God has showed us that we should go so that there will be expansion in the kingdom of God. Amen. So that means you cannot come here and say, I want to do my own thing. Or you cannot come and say, well, from the church I came from, this is the way they do it there, and so you people should do it the same way. We don't have the same assignment. Does that make sense to you? Fort Leavenworth is different from Fort Lauderdale. Why? Because the bases are different, though they have the same common goal, which is to defend the integrity of the United States, but their specific assignment is different a little bit. Amen. Objective number five, we want to wipe out what we call biblical illiteracy so that we can progressively move our members from the realm of information to the realm of transformation. There's no point you knowing every verse of scripture from Genesis to Revelation and when we look at your life, Jesus said by their fruit we shall know them. We look at your life, it does not reflect the quantity or the volume of knowledge of scripture that you know. That is information. So we want to move people. Information that cannot transform you is wasted. Does that make sense to you? Any information, every scriptural spiritual information you have that does not transform your life is wasted information. So we want to help you to move you from the realm of information to the realm of transformation. 
We want your life to be transformed by the level of truth that you know. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Amen. Objective number six. We want to equip every member of a local church for the work of the ministry so that we can release them into their own destiny and ministerial callings. Like I said earlier, we believe that every man or woman, born of a woman, or every born-again Christian, you have a destiny. We believe it so much that you have a destiny, that God has killed you or gifted you in certain areas, that you are a minister in your own rights. Amen. And we want to help you to be the best you can be so that we can release you into the calling that God has for your life. Amen. Objective number seven. We want to fill our world with apostolic doctrines so that you can be shielded from the perversion in this generation. The Bible says in the book of Acts of Apostles chapter two, I think it's time from verse 40. When Peter began to preach on the day of Pentecost, he began to speak to the people. He said, save yourself from this perverse generation and be saved. And the Bible says that the people, they remained in the apostles' doctrine. What does that mean? That means there are some doctrines that the apostles of Christ, the disciples of Christ, taught the people that shielded them from the perversion in their generation. Every generation has a perversion. The most unique, I mean, the most popular perversion in our generation is homosexuals roaming the street. That's a perversion. Is that okay? But when you have the doctrines of the apostles, that means scripture, guarding your life, you will be shielded from such perversions. Amen. The word of God will shield you from whatsoever pollution. Perversion is the same as pollution. The word of God will shield you from whatsoever pollution that the devil has brought into the world. Amen. And lastly, our objective number eight is to promote genuine biblical Christianity even now. Is it possible to live like the days of the Bible? Is it possible to live today like the days that Jesus was walking on the surface of this earth? It is possible. By the power of the word of God and the precious Holy Spirit in your life, it is possible. Amen. Now, having said this, there are nine classes that will be taught in this in this membership class. The first one we're going to start tonight is called our salvation. Our salvation, now that you are saved, what does it mean to be saved? And what are you saved from? If you don't appreciate what you are saved from, you will not value your salvation. Does that make sense to you? And we want you to value your salvation. And next week, God willing, we are going to be talking about the second class, which is the new birth. What does it mean to be born again? We're going to be re-examining that. 
so that we can explain to you, now that you are born again, what does it mean to be born again? Because if you don't know what it means to be born again, then you will shortchange yourself. The devil will deceive you and you will not know your rights in Christ. We're going to tell you the rights you have as a born again Christian so that you can walk in those rights. In the talk line, we're going to be talking about our mission and our driving force. We're a church on a mission. And there's something that is driving us. Just like alcohol is driving the alcoholic. Just like drugs or cocaine is driving the drug addict. There's something that is driving us as a people. There's something that is motivating us. We're going to know. Because if that motivation is lacking in your life, you lack what it takes to move on in your work with God. Amen. And what is our mission? We're going to learn in that class what our mission is all about. What are we here for? Why are we here? Then, it is in 104, we're going to be talking about our structure and our strategy. After knowing our mission and our driving force, then we're going to tell you what structures we have put in place and what are the strategies that we're going to use to accomplish our mission. Amen. And we're going to introduce you to various facets of the ministry. And in the fifth class, we're going to be talking about faith and prayer. Faith and prayer are two power twins that if you lack, you're going to backslide. I don't care who you are. If you lack those power twins, you can't move on with God. Amen. You must have a prayer life and your life must be a life of faith. Then it is in 106, we're going to be talking about serving God through the local church and your spiritual gifts. There's no way you can serve God except through the ministry that have been made available through a local church and spiritual gifts. And we're going to be looking at it is in 107. We're going to be talking about eternity, eternal life, death, and judgment. Those words are big words that is a mystery to many people, and many people don't understand it. In that class, we're going to be explaining what it means. We're going to be bringing understanding. And we're going to be looking at understanding covenants and covenant commitment. Amen. God is a God of covenant. God operates by covenant. And we're going to tell you what covenant is and how you can operate in covenant. And lastly, we're going to be talking about understanding membership covenant, holy communion, and water baptism. Amen. But those are still in the future, in the next coming weeks. Today, we're going to start by looking at the first class, our salvation. So really, today's class is a it's two classes combining into one. The intro part that I've just quickly summarized, then we're going to go into today's class. And we did this so that you don't come back for 10 weeks. <laughs> Amen. We don't want you to be weary of coming to class. And please, we don't want you to drop out of school. <laughs> Somebody who completed this class said, this is the first school that we graduate from. <laughs> every other school it dropped out <laughs> please don't drop out make sure you get your GED from this school <laughs> make sure you get your diploma amen hallelujah and after we complete this nine weeks uh, course 
there's another level of courses that you're going to be going through. It's a video class. We call it the Undercover Series. And it takes place downstairs, and it's a six-week class. And what is undercover? You're going to be knowing more when you get to that class. But basically what it is is this. When it is raining outside, and you have an umbrella, you won't be wet. Is that okay? But when it's raining, and you have no umbrella, you'll be wet. Amen. But we want you to be under the umbrella. You are undercover. The devil is pummeling everybody. But when you are undercover, you won't get wet. The enemy can't touch you. Can't touch this. Amen. So let's go on tonight and let's start our salvation. And we have about six objectives that we will accomplish tonight. At the end of this class tonight, you should be able to appreciate the position of man in God's original plan and glory. Two, you should be able to appreciate the fall of man, its implication and significance of repentance. Three, you should be able to appreciate that Jesus is the only way to salvation. It is not one of the ways. He is the only way. And four, you should be able to appreciate what the salvation package is, is all about. Five, you should be able to also appreciate the consequence of rejecting salvation. And lastly, we want you to be able to take heed to a fresh call to repentance. Amen. So let's look at what was originally in God's mind when he created man. The Bible tells us in the book of Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was without, was without form and void and the Bible says that darkness was all over and the spirit of the Lord was brooding upon the surface of the waters. The living Bible says that at that time the earth was a chaotic mass. There was chaos all over. Then all of a sudden, in Genesis chapter 1 verse 2, God began to create things. And the first thing he created was he created light. God said, let there be light. And there was light. And from Genesis chapter 1 up to Genesis 25, God began to create things. He separated the earth from the waters. He, created, he separated the waters from the land. And the land he called earth, the waters he called seas, he separated the firmament, he created all things. He created crops, he created trees, he created animals, created fishes in the water, created all sorts of things. Up to Genesis verse 25. Then when God got to, when he got to Genesis 1 verse 25, God finished creating everything on the earth then there was a problem. Let me give you another example to help you understand it. Let's assume there is a multi-billionaire who is based out there in New York, in New Jersey. And this guy is a great investor. He was flying his private jet, flying over Kansas, and he saw vast land. <laughs> and you know that one, one problem they have in New York is space. So he decided to land in Kansas City Airport and he drove around and he was mesmerized by the vast land that we have in Kansas. 
And the guy decided that he's going to build an estate of houses. Maybe a 2,000 unit estate. Is that okay? And the built is because he, had, he has money. But this guy is based in New York. So what did he do? When the contractor finished building the 2,000 housing units, they handed over to him the keys and everything. Then the guy said, well, I'm in New York. There's no way I can oversee my estate in Kansas. So what did he do? He employed a manager and put him in charge of his estate. Is that okay? But before he employed this manager, he first of all advertised in the newspapers looking for certain qualifications and certain experiences. Alright? Now let me paint an imagination. Let me paint in your imagination. I could imagine after God finished creating the earth, in the newspapers of heaven, God put an advert, vacancy, position, F, estate manager. And God began to put the qualifications. And in the heaven's newspaper calls, called Evans Chronicles, circulating among all the angels, there was nobody found qualified <laughs> for the position. So God had a problem. So God said, okay, we're going to solve this problem. We're going to create somebody with those qualifications. Because one major qualification is that that person must look like God. And none of the angels look exactly like God. Does that make sense to you? So in Genesis 1.26, God says, come, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Why? So that they can have dominion over the earth and everything we have created. Do you see that? God created man in his image after his likeness. The reason is he wants him to be the estate manager for the planet earth. Amen. So that was God's original intention for man. The Bible says in the book of Psalms, uh, the book of Revelation chapter 4, the 11, verse 11, the B part, it says that God created everything for his pleasure. God created everything to give him pleasure, including you and I. Amen. God created man to be the crown of his glory, or to be the crown to be the glow, I mean, to be the crown of everything he created. He created man to be the crown of his creation. He created man to be the peak of his creation. He created man to be in charge of everything that he created. And God created man just to be like himself. Amen. So man was created to be in the spirit image of God. Now let me ask you this question. Who is man? If you know it, you can answer. Who is man? Huh? Okay, for you to know who man is, you first of all need to know who God is. 
Because man was created in the image of God. Is that okay? Okay, the next question. Who is God? Because if we know God, then we can know man. So who is God? Hmm? Greater of all things, yeah. It's like if I say, who am I? You are saying you are a black man. I know. <laughs> okay, you are a Nigerian. I know. But that does not really describe who I am. We know he's the creator of all things. We know he's the almighty. We know. Come with me to the book of John chapter 4. Jesus told us who God is. Remember, he's the son of God. So he knows his father. Jesus said in John chapter 4, verse 24, he said, there is coming a time when the true worshippers, he first of all started by saying that God is looking for worshippers. John 4, 24. Let me read from verse 22. He said, you worship what you do not know, but we worship what we know for salvation is of the Jews. Verse 23 says, but the hour is coming and now is that hour when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For God is seeking such to worship him. Then he told us who God is in verse 24. He said, for God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So who is God? God is a spirit. Okay. If God is a spirit, then who is man? Man is a spirit being. So when God created man in Genesis 1.27, what did he create? He, create? he created a man just like himself and he is spirit. Amen. Now, just, just track with me. Man is essentially a spirit being. Now, Genesis 1.27. Come with me to Genesis 1.27. The Bible says that God created man in his image after his likeness. Alright? You flame with me? Now, after Genesis 1.27... Come with me to Genesis 2.5. Are you there? Genesis 2.5. The Bible says that before any plant of the field was in the earth, and before any herb of the field had grown, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth, and there was no man to till the ground. Genesis 1.27 said, God created a man after his like God created man after his image. Genesis 2.5 says there was no man. Then come with me to Genesis 2.7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. What's happening here? Genesis 1.27, he created a man in his image after his likeness. Genesis 2.5, there was no man to till the ground. Genesis 2.7, he formed man out of the dust of the ground, breath, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living soul. What's happening here? That sounds confusing. Now, this is the explanation. You know, there are over 7 billion people on the surface of this earth. If the Bible tells us in Genesis 127 that you are the exact image of God, 
and there are 7,000 7 billion people on the surface of the earth that means 7 billion faces right and if all of us looks like God then God will be like a monster because we have over 7 billion faces that doesn't make sense does that make sense it doesn't make sense for God to have 7 billion faces so what does it mean that we are created in the image of God the meaning is this God is a spirit so when he created man he created a spirit being so it is your spirit that looks like God not your physical body your spirit does that make sense to you so he created a spirit being in Genesis 1.27. Then, after I created the spirit being in Genesis 127, he gave the spirit being an assignment, just like in the story I told earlier of a New York businessman who built an estate in Kansas City. He employed an estate manager in New York, but he sent the estate manager to Kansas City to come and work. Right? God created your, your spirit but he sent your spirit to the earth to come and do a walk. Is that okay? But unfortunately, Jesus told us in Luke chapter 24, verse 39, he says, spirits have no flesh and bone. Spirits have no flesh and bone. What does that mean? Spirits operate at an energy level because they don't have flesh and bone so material substance cannot be an hindrance to them. A spirit will walk through this wall because it does not have flesh, it does not have bone. Does that make sense to you? That's the reason why after Jesus rose from the dead, the Bible says that his disciples were inside the building, all the dust logged, and they walked through the wall and came into the room. Why? Because he was in the resurrected form where physical material substance is no barrier. So that's the reason why in Genesis 2.5, there was no man to till the ground. Because the spirit man that God created could not handle material substance. Because he has no flesh, he has no bones. Does that make sense to you? So what did God do to solve that problem? In Genesis 2.7, God therefore came to the earth and God formed the shape of our physical body. The Bible says that God formed man. That means your physical body out of the dust. Then, he took the spirit man he created in Genesis 1 27. He took it into the body he formed. So, we have the body, we have the spirit. But those two entities are so far apart that they could not operate together. Because the spirit is so high up there, the body is so low down here. So God said, okay, I'm going to create a middleman that will connect the spirit and the body. So what did he do? He breathed into that physical body he formed with the spirit inside and the soul of man was created. So that means as you are seated right now, you are what we call a tripartite being. That means you have three parts to yourself. You are essentially a spirit being you live in a physical body and you have a soul. 
With your body, you make contact with the physical earth. With your spirit, you make contact with the spiritual world. And your soul is a middleman, the center of your will, your intelligence, your consciousness that connects the physical world with the spiritual world. Does that make sense to you? Does that make sense to you? Amen. So you are essentially a spirit being. You live in a physical body and you have a soul. It is your physical body, when it is still alive, that gives you the legal authority to operate on earth. The moment there's a disconnection between your spirit and your body, you no longer have authority to operate on earth. Does that make sense to you? Let me give you another example. You know, you know that there are some people they went to space in a spacecraft. You know about that, right? Now, have you seen them doing what they call space work before? They put on a space suit and they are walking in slow motion <laughs> because there's no gravity in space. Why were they able to walk in space? The only reason why they were able to walk in space was because they have a space suit. The space suit has everything they needed to live in space. Is that okay? But when they come back from space to the earth, they don't need the space suit because they have their earth suit. And their earth suit has everything, contains everything they need to live on earth. You don't need an oxygen tank because your lungs is an oxygen tank. Is that okay? So that's the reason why you can live on earth without any problem. So it doesn't matter the color of your earth suit. Whether it's black or white or yellow, it doesn't matter. It's the same earth suit we have. Does that make sense to you? So that's the reason why you shouldn't feel superior or inferior. <laughs> it's the same earth suit we have. Does that make sense to you? And it is the earth suit you have, which is your physical body, that gives you the legal authority to operate on earth. Listen to this. When God created man, God gave man absolute authority on earth. What does that mean? If God wants to do anything on the earth, he must look for a man. And same way, if the devil wants to do anything on the earth, he must look for a man to do it. Why? Because God has delegated authority to the man he created. And God will not usurp his authority that he has already given. Just like the multi-billionaire I was telling you in the story I was saying, uh, telling you earlier. If he employed an estate manager to oversee his estate in Kansas, he has given that man absolute authority. Whatever that man decides, goes. Does that make sense to you? It's whatever that guy tells the man in New York that he will believe. Because he has given him authority. So when God created man, we're looking at man's original, uh, God's original plan for man. Amen. We're looking at man in God's original plan. So the original plan God has is that man will be his representative on earth who has full authority and full dominion. But what happened? Unfortunately, man gave away his authority to the devil. Now, before I go into that, let me tell you who you are. Because if you don't really understand who you are, the devil is going to cheat you. 
It's going to rob you of your rights. Come with me to the book of Psalms chapter 8. Psalms chapter 8. The book of Psalms 8. Psalms of David. Let me read from verse 1. This is David, the psalmist, writing a psalm to the Lord. He says, O Lord our God, how excellent is your name in all the earth. For you have set your glory above the heavens. Verse 2 says, Out of the mouth, mouth of babes and nursing infants you have ordained strength. Because of your enemies, that thou may silence the enemy and the avenger. This is the psalmist. This was David, the shepherd boy. He was looking after the sheep. And in the middle of the night, he just looked up into the skies and he began to think about the Lord and what God has done. Then he's starting in verse 3 saying, When I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? The psalmist began to wonder. How many people here can imagine how, how big God is? You can't imagine it because your mind cannot phantom how big God is. Amen. If you want to go travel from here to the sun, the sun will see when it is done. In a jet liner, it will take you 22 years traveling in a jet to get to the sun. That's how far the earth is from the sun. And God created the sun, created the earth. So how big is he who created the sun and the earth? You can't phantom it. So the psalmist was now wondering, you created the stars, the moon, the sun. They are so big, so mighty, so vast. Then he looked at himself. What exactly is in man that God is even putting man into consideration? He said, what is man that thou art mindful of him? To be mindful of somebody means 24-7. That person is on your mind. Do you remember when you first fell in love? <laughs> when you became mindful of that lady? Or when you became mindful of that man? Even when you dream, you dream about that person. Because your mind is full. Is that okay? So that guy was wondering, what exactly is me? What is you so great you are and me so tiny so irrelevant seemed, as, uh, at least it seems to me then you are always thinking about me then you said you visit him you visit him means you pay attention to him what does it mean to pay attention it's like when you speak do you know what God does he brings his ears close to your mouth so that I can hear what you are saying so that Samuel was almost going crazy. 
amaze me that the creator of the universe, when I speak, he listens. <laughs> That's a mystery. Let's, let's read on. Verse 5. He said, more than that, you made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. And you have made him to have dominion over the works of your hand, and you have put all things under his feet. And he began to list all the things that God has put under the feet of man. Now, take, pay close attention to verse 5. It says, you made him a little bit lower than the angels. Now, let me explain this verse of scripture. You see that word that was translated as angel in that verse? In the original Hebrew Bible, actually means God. So if we are to read the original Hebrew Bible, it means you have made him a little bit lower than God. But when the English translators were translating the Bible and they got there, they said, maybe the people who wrote the Hebrew Bible made a mistake. That how can God made man to be just a little bit lower than God? <laughs> so they put angel instead of saying you made him lower than God. So what does that verse of scripture mean? Let me paint your imagination. You know, when you go to a company, you have the president of a company, then you have the vice president, maybe you have the regional vice president, then you have the other people underneath him. There's an hierarchy. In the realm of a spirit, in the kingdom of God, there is a hierarchy. Up here, we have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. Then we have the archangels, Michael, Gabriel. Then we have the angels. Flowing with me. Then we have Satan because he has he had fallen the the, the tree away from heaven. <laughs> then down there we have hell. Do you know what God did? When God created man in His image after His likeness, what did He do? He created man to be just a little bit below himself, above archangels, above angels, above Satan, and definitely so far from hell. Can you phantom that? That God created you to be higher than angels. That's the reason why the Bible says in the book of Corinthians that know ye not that you will judge angels, do you agree with me that the higher judges the lower? Does that make sense to you? So God made man to be just a little bit lower than himself. But what happened when Adam and Eve committed a sin against God in the Garden of Eden? They fell from glory. They fell below archangels. They fell below angels. They fell below Satan. They fell below demons who are fallen angels. And man was on his way to hell. That's the reason why the Bible says in the book of Romans chapter 3 verse verse 23 it says for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means when God created you and I, 
he gave us a glory. Then when we fell, we fell short. That word fell short means we are not able to attain back to that glory. You see, the fall of man was a catastrophe. The fall of man was terrible. The fall of man affected everything on earth. The fall of man was terrible. And man was on his way to hell. What made the sin of man to be terrible was because the sin that Adam and Eve sinned were <coughs> deliberate sins. The Bible tells us in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 14 that actually Eve was deceived by the devil in eating the fruit. But the Bible says that Adam was not deceived. When Adam took that fruit, he knew what he was doing. He deliberately disobeyed God. Why he did it, we don't know. Maybe when we get to heaven, we can ask Brother Adam. Or we can ask Grandpa Adam why he did it. Like somebody said jokingly, when he saw that his wife is gone, he said, wow, I'd rather go to hell with you. <laughs> That's why some men or some women go to hell with somebody who is hellbound. Amen. Does that make sense? So go to heaven together. Don't follow somebody to hell. So man fell. Man become the, became disconnected from God. And remember in the book of Genesis chapter 2, when God gave the garden of Eden to man, God told Adam, he said, the day you eat the fruit, you are going to die. Remember that story? He said, the day you eat the fruit, you shall surely die. But Adam did not die that day. What happened? He lived for about 800 or 900 years thereafter. What does that mean to die? That word die does not mean physical death. It means separation. God says, in the day you commit a sin against me, you will be separated from me. Is that okay? So separation is the same thing as death. Amen. So man became separated from God. And the life of God could no longer flow into man. And man changed, the nature of man changed, changed from being the nature of God, the sinless, holy nature of God. And we took on what we call the sinful nature. The sinful nature is a nature that compels us to sin. How many of us here have been helpless before? You know what you want to do is wrong. But you just can't help yourself. You just went ahead and do it anyway. It's because you have the same nature. Amen. But the God nature will make you to say no. Not to sin. And say yes to God. Amen. So what's the implication of this fall? Death came. 
the original plan of man is that man should live forever on earth. That's the original plan. Because God doesn't die. And if we are created in the image of God, we don't die. But now we have to die because the life of God is no more in us. When we get to class 8, when we are uh, class 7, when we talk about eternity, eternal life, and death and judgment, we're going to understand more what that means. Amen. So now that man has fallen, there's no need for what we call repentance because when man fell, man was on his way to hell. But God loved, God loved man so much that God did not want man to go to hell. So what did God do? God sent a Savior. His name is Jesus. And Jesus came for a moment. He came below archangels. For a moment, he came below angels, though he was not subject to them. He came below Satan, not subject to Satan. And he came, swallowed man. Amen. And because he swallowed man, he swallowed sin. <laughs> and God has already judged sin. So he had to go to hell to pay for the sin of man. But on the third day, God raised him from the dead. And meanwhile, man was still inside of him. And when he rose from the dead, he was raised from hell. He went above devils, went above angels, and now he's seated on the right hand side of God. And the Bible says in the book of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5, it says, we are now seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus because we are inside of him. Amen. Now that man has been separated from God, how can we reconnect man back to God? There's only one way back to God. It's called repentance. What is repentance? Repentance means making a complete change of mind, a change of heart, a change of character, a change of behavior, a change of the way you speak, a change of the way you dress, if necessary. It's a change. It's a radical change of what you were doing before. Repentance also means to make a U-turn. Let me give an example. Assuming this was God, and this was man, and there was fellowship in the Garden of Eden. But when man sinned, what happened? Man turned his back against God. And man began to take deliberate steps away from God. And the further he went away from God, the more wicked he became. Because the light and the life of God was no more in him. So repentance is, you came to a point and you are so tired of the way you are living. And you made a U-turn. But many people made a U-turn and they stayed there. But after making the U-turn, you now began to take deliberate steps back towards God. I call it making deliberate steps back towards God. Studying your word, praying, coming to church, getting involved in ministry. By taking those deliberate steps, you come closer and closer and closer to God until Jesus comes 
or you are taken home to be with the Lord. But many people, they made a U-turn and they stayed there. And because they stayed there, they are taking a defensive posture. So the devil keep battling them. And they kept going backward. Though they are still focusing, they are still facing God. But they are going backward. After a while, they will just turn back. So don't stay there. It's a decision to get saved. But it's a process to come to the knowledge of the truth. So don't abort that process. Amen. Remember, before you got saved, somebody told you, repent and give your life to Jesus. Then you ask them what you should repent from. What's your name? Ashley. What about if I come to you and say, Ashley, I am demanding that you give me an unreserved apology now. <laughs> Maybe I've never spoken to you before. <laughs> and the first time I spoke to you, I said, I'm requesting you. I'm demanding, not, I'm demanding that you give me an unreserved apology and tell me you are sorry for what you did. What will you do? You have to. Why? What did I do? So when the preacher came to you and said, repent and give your life to Jesus, you need to ask them, repent from what? Say, repent from your sins. Repent from being a fornicator, an adulterer, all the sins. It's good to repent from all those sins. But repenting from all those sins will not take you to heaven. Let me explain. <laughs> Why will anybody go to hell? Because of their sins? Nobody goes to hell because of their sins. Do you know why people go to hell? People go to hell because they rejected the remedy that God made for their sin. Which is Jesus Christ. And you access that by repenting. Does that make sense to you? And the first time you gave your life to Jesus, there are re your repentance are twofold. The first repentance is you first of all repent for the sin that Adam committed on your behalf. Because when Adam committed that sin in the Garden of Eden, he did it for you. He did it for me. So we inherited the sin of Adam. And it is the sin of Adam that is really taking us to hell. All our own personal sin is just as a follow-up to the main sin. So when you came to Jesus, you said, Lord, I'm sorry for what I did in Adam. Forgive me. Then after that, I now repent of my own personal sins. Does that make sense to you? <clears throat> That's the reason why when the Bible is talking about the sin that Adam committed on our behalf, he didn't call it sins. He called it sin. Singular. But when he's talking about your own personal atrocities that you committed, he called them sins. 
So you have to repent of the sin, then of your own sins. And once you give your life to Jesus, you have repented of the sin. Repentance does not stop there. Repentance continues throughout your life because you will still have your own personal sins. The Bible says that if we say we do not have sin, we do not sin. He said we deceive ourselves and we have become liars. As long as you dwell in this flesh, you will have personal sins to repent from. Amen. If this class starts at 7 and you came here at 7.02, you have committed a sin because you came late. You should repent. Does that make sense to you? You should repent. Say, Lord, I'm sorry for coming late. Even if it was your boss that made you to come late, don't excuse your sins. Even when the excuses are illegitimate because it can take you to hell. Just repent. Just say, Lord, forgive me. I'm sorry. Does that make sense to you? Amen. So man supposed to repent. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is life eternal. Let me tell you, sin has consequences. And the biggest consequence of sin is hell. Please don't go to hell. Because it will be a waste. If anybody goes to hell, it is a waste. Because the price was paid for you not to go to hell. It is a waste. There's no reason why anybody should go to hell. Because the price has been paid. And nobody goes to hell because of their sins. Because God has paid the price for their sin. The only reason why they go to hell is because they rejected the price that God paid. And as I begin to round up, your sins, our sins will separate us from God. Do you know why? Because God is pure and God is holy. God is so holy that God cannot behold sin. God is so holy that he cannot behold sin. <laughs> How many people believe that Jesus was a holy person? He never committed any sin. Good. But the Bible says that Jesus was a sinner. <laughs> You're looking at me. <laughs> on the cross, it, was, it became sin. The Bible says that on the cross, God took the whole sin of the world and placed it on Jesus. And as at that moment of time, God had to look away from his son for the first and the only time. Because God cannot behold sin. And that's the reason why on the cross, Jesus cried, My father, my father, why have thou forsaken me? Because the father cannot behold sin. So when you live in sin and you practice sin and you don't repent, God will turn his back from, on you. Why? Because he can't behold sin. And do you know the reason why God went to the extent of killing his son? He killed his son for you. Do you know why? Because God loves you so much. Let me tell you. Even if you were the only one on the surface of this earth, Jesus would have come to die for you. Even if for you alone. 
Let me help you understand it so that you can know how valuable you are. You are so valuable to God. Let us assume that this earpiece, if it is worth a million dollars, and I paid a million dollars to buy it, and I misplaced it, and somebody found it, and somebody said, I found your earpiece, but I'm not going to give it to you free. Say, okay, name your price. Remember, I bought it for a million dollars. And he said, give me $50 million. <laughs> then you can keep it. <laughs> Why should I give you $50 million for something that is worth only $1 million? So you can keep it. I can buy 49 more. <laughs> is that okay? But let's assume that this is the only piece in the whole universe. And there's no way, even if I have a million dollars, I can't get it. And I need it so badly. If the guy said, give me a million dollars and I'll give it to you. If I had the money, do you think I would give it to him? Sure. Because I needed it. Now that means what was exchanged for what was lost probably has the same value or greater value. Does that make sense to you? If I say for you to take this thing back from me, the, the amount of money I'm giving you to give it back to me might be the same value as what you are giving back to me or maybe greater. Does that make sense? I'm trying to let you know how valuable you are to God. So if God gave his son for you, that means the least value that your life carries is the same value that the life of Jesus carries. Does that make sense to you? You are so valuable. You are so valuable. God cannot afford to see you go to hell. That's why I pray the promise. Please, bro, don't go to hell. Hell is not meant for you. And the only way to get to heaven is to live perpetually a repented life. When man sinned against God, God had a dilemma. God had a problem. The problem was so intense. What was the problem? man that God loved so much so dearly was in a warm embrace with sin that God hates with a passion. And God wants to destroy sin. But there's no way he was going to destroy sin without destroying the man that he loved. So God had to create a way to create, to separate the man he loved from the sin that he hates. What's your name? Ben. Come. Let me use you to demonstrate. This is man that God loves. And I represent sin that God hates. Is that okay? Now, the man that God loves 
It's in a warm embrace with sin that God hates. And God wants to destroy sin. But there's no way God is going to destroy sin without destroying the man he loves. So what did he do? He created a way to separate the man from the sin. Is that okay? Now, try to break free from it. That's how many of us are embraced joined to sin. Try, try, try. Put in your best. Try. So, the man that God loves is in a warm embrace with sin that God hates. And man is so helpless, he cannot break away. Remember your many New Year resolutions? By the 5th of January, you are back where you started. Because you cannot break away. But God made a way of escape. That way is called repentance. Now, say a prayer of repentance. Ben, say, I repent of my sins. Lord, forgive me. As you are saying that prayer, the grip and the hold that sin has over your life is loosed. Thank you. Repentance is so powerful. It separates sin that God hates from man that God loves so that God can judge and destroy sin and he can preserve man. Please, don't be too proud to repent. It will take you to hell. But repentance is what will take you to heaven. As I begin to round up, sorry I'm overshooting our time a little bit today because like I told you, this is two classes joined to one. God has fixed only one way back to himself. Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. There's no other way. The only way is Jesus. Amen. And the salvation is a package. The same package that saved you from your sin that will take you to heaven is the same salvation in the word in the Greek is a word called sozo. Sozo is a compound word for deliverance, salvation, healing. You understand? So that salvation is a package. It delivers you from sin, delivers you from everything. Does that make sense to you? The same salvation that will take you to heaven is the same salvation that will give you healing. It's the same salvation that will deliver you from being possessed of a devil. It's the same salvation that will deliver you from any addictive behavior you have in your life. But some people, they take the path that will take them to heaven, but they live with the rest. Please, take the whole package. Don't leave out some. Don't leave out healing. Take healing. Don't leave out prosperity. Take prosperity. Amen. Don't leave out deliverance from addictive behaviors. Take it. It's yours. Just take it. Amen. And this package, this package is free to everyone that believes. The Bible says that as many as believe, he has given the power to become the sons and the daughters of God. Do you believe tonight? Amen. And what's the consequence of rejecting this package? Hell. There's no point mincing words. Hell. 
If anybody dies without Jesus, or anybody with the knowledge of Jesus who died in their sin without repenting, the consequence is hell. Please don't go to hell. It's not meant for you. Please be quick to repent. Don't make excuses for your sins. Just repent. Just say, Lord, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Let the blood of Jesus wash me clean. Amen. And repentance continues throughout your life. Like I said, if you come late to church by two minutes, repent. Say, Lord, I'm sorry. Don't excuse your sins. No matter how minute it is. The Bible says that without holiness, no man will seek God. Because God hates sin with a passion. Amen. Let's rise up on our feet tonight. Are you blessed tonight? Can you see how valuable you are in the sight of God? You are so valuable that God sent his son Jesus to die for you. Please don't waste what God did for you through Christ Jesus. Is there anybody here tonight who is not saved? You have not given your life to Jesus. Is there anybody like that tonight? You want to give your life to Jesus? You need to do so. Because that's your ticket to heaven. Father, we thank you for tonight. We love you. We bless you. We thank you for our salvation. Who? Thank you for delivering us from hell, O oh God. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for our sins, O oh God. You bruised him for our iniquities, O oh God. The chastisement of our peace is upon him, O oh God. It pleases you to kill him so that we may live. Lord, we thank you. Lord Jesus, we appreciate your work on Calvary. And we rededicate our lives to you tonight. And we shall serve you till you come or you take us home in the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you. We bless you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Oh, let's give God some praise tonight. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Please tell other people about this class. We are helping you to build a solid foundation upon which you can build your Christian life.